Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Come on in the room, come on in the room. <laughs> so I'm laughing because I feel like, um, y'all know I talk about my faith a lot, but I, in all the church videos of Facebook Live, someone's always clapping their hands saying, come on in the room, come on in the room, come on in the room. So that's just how I wanted to start off this podcast. Come on in the room. You're invited to have a seat at my table you're invited to have coffee with me, to have a drink with me. It's just me and you and the rest of the people who are part of this conversation. Um, but wow, last week's conversation, I hope that it literally has you thinking about a lot of things. I'm not going to take up too much of your time talking. So let's get into the second part of a conversation with black men about masculinity and manhood. I hope you all enjoy it. But I'm curious, though, is something Isaiah was saying like how as black men how do you think we define masculinity differently like compared to how white men are defining masculine is there like some go ahead gail we don't right like our complete definition of masculinity is so rooted in whiteness that we don't even see it anymore you know what i mean like the idea of what it means to be a black man is so rooted in what it meant to be a black male slave that people don't even understand that you know what I mean? It's so it's so convoluted and so covered up that we don't even know anymore. I don't even think we ever had our own definition of what it means to be a black man, right? It's so 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 tied up in whiteness and like white definitions, and it's not it's not our fault. It's also not our fault, right? Which is why I, I applaud you for like having spaces like this for us to have these conversations because it's like it's time for us to start making our own meaning, like and stop trying to like be what other people tell us we need to be or should be or have always been. That like that's how I really feel about it. It's like it's not it's never been ours to define. I think I can piggyback off of Kel and what Destiny was saying as well. Like like I say again, growing up in high school, like, man, it was I don't even think like everything I did, like dressing, the way I dressed. It's it's crazy because it's like the girls wanted me to sag, you know, like, or people wanted to see sagging and I got my pants pulled up and somehow I'm gay because I have my pants up and not sagging, you know, like it was different things like that. I want to show emotion so bad. Like I remember I used to tell my bros, like, I love you, man. They used to be like, bro, what? Like, you know, it was different things like that, that, you know, people people see as, you know, not masculine. And I feel like once I really started to be who I wanted to be and not who my father or society was telling me to be, I feel like that's when people were saying, oh, he's not masculine. Because, you know, me always learning, like, I got to be tough, like Demetrius was saying, like being aggressive, being tough. Like, I, I was always that until my senior year of high school, when I start to realize things myself, you know, I remember me and Destin, we were at Burger King. I'm Destin, I don't know if you remember this, but we were at Burger King and we were, I was talking to you about this, you know, like right when I got out of high school <laughs> and, and we talked about, you know, it's okay to be yourself. Like who cares what people think? I was scared. Like, look, if I start to be myself, that's when people are going to think, Oh, he's not as tough. And I wanted people to realize or, or, or to know that I was tough, so I wouldn't be the the outside or the or the black sheep. But 
it got to a point where you know I was I was like, who cares on of of I don't care what nobody say. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna be who I, who I am. But um, something I think about is how much I don't know. I'm just thinking about homophobia in all of this, and how I'm thinking of like the no homo movement. Where like anytime you looked at some no homo, or anytime <laughs> you know you you shook somebody's hand, no homo. Like, or I think of you know now people saying everything sus. So I don't know. I, I'm thinking about how much homophobia shapes masculinity. It like almost feel like masculinity is like this. I don't know. I, I almost feel like sometimes it feels really rooted in homophobia. Um, any thoughts? Like I said, I'm not asking this question right, but yeah, just wanted to bring that into the conversation. To some extent, like sometimes I feel like they're the antithesis of each other, right? Because like I think even within the gay community, right, there is conversations around like, are you masculine enough? Or are you not? And what that means, right? Because it, it gives you, it then gives that portrayal that you can pass for straight, right? And like why a person needs to pass for straight, right? And then that's rooted in like, you know, harm and trauma and safety and security and all those things. And so it's like, I do think that they go together. And I also think that they are often opposing each other. But at the same time, I do think that again, it's it's a it's a, that's why it goes back to like manhood, right? Because like these are the, whether you're gay, straight, whatever, you're still a man, right? And so it's therefore, can you can you not exude manhood, regardless if that manhood shows up as masculine or feminine? Because to some extent, right, I could go far as to say my mother showed great manhood by maintaining our household um, on her own right, with four children. But people would then say, well, no, she's just a strong black woman. But then didn't you say strength is a trait of masculinity or, or of manhood? Like, help me understand, right? And it just, I think they just go, they go together and they also constantly are in argument and fighting. That's but, a very valid point. But, but what you're saying, it's kind of like, we gotta have these kind of discussions though and just be honest because at the end of the day, it's like, either some people know the information, some people don't. Some people are gonna be ignorant, some people are gonna be accepting of it. We just gotta have these kind of feelings dialogues, which I have one of my classes talking about. Because even like when it comes to like the homophobia aspect, when it comes to homophobia, it can fall in many categories. Like one, someone might be homophobic because you're showing yourself basically you being true to who you are and they're unable to be true to who they are because they're scared of either the retaliation they're gonna get from their family, they're gonna get scared of the support system that they're gonna have. So there's like a lot of layers behind that homophobia that we can unpack as well about why some people are homophobic. But at the same time, the better question is, are we allowing people to actually be truly who they are? Because if we talk about masculinity, we can talk about manhood, and we talk about blackness, the better the end of the question, I think the overall question is kind of like, will we allow people to actually be their true authentic selves? Because we if we're not going to allow people to true, be their true authentic selves, then the better question to ask is, who are you? That sounds simple, but that's a lot to say. Because that's basically what society is. Society wants you to be one way, but we're battling trying to be who we are with society telling us we can't be this way. We got to fit their mold. We got to fit this kind of stereotype in order for us to get to where we want to go. So actually, how can we actually be men? <laughs> how can we actually be in a space where we are, like what Gail said in here, how can we share that we create space that make people feel safe to be themselves? How can we? Are we allowing people to be themselves in the church? Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't necessarily identify as a Christian, right? I think I need to put that out there right away um, before I ask my question. 
Um, but I also wonder, like, why would it not shift doctrine, right? Because I sometimes think about the fact that, like, we have received doctrine through a certain lens, and right? And to a certain extent, like, part of that doctrine is saying, like, God does not speak to gay people. Or, or it used to also be God does not speak to women, right? And now we have women pastors, right? And they had to shift the doctrine. So it's like the doctrine does have to shift, right? If we continue to think that we're going to operate within the same rules, but we're going to shift how the rules are received, like that, that to me, there's a disconnect there, right? I think that, and I do agree with you that I do think that the religion, as most religions, as, as society currently is on this, in this space of like major shift and change with the new generation that we're currently engaging with. But I also caution us in thinking that thing, like rules, like basic foundations don't need to change. It's just what's happening within that foundation. It's like, no, like that's the same thing that we're experiencing within the United States. Like our government foundation is trash, right? It's racist. It's, 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 it's racist as hell. And we're, th we cannot operate with inside of it, right? Like we have to literally get rid of the constitution, right? And start over not, oh, let's, let's edit this and, and change this. It's like, that's that that's the issue those are some of the issues right and if we want if the goal is to be more inclusive around like what it means to be a man and also what it means to be a man within the church right like that that that's a very hard and real conversation but it will it will have to go down to the doctrine because the doctrine has been used as a tool to promote anti anti what am i trying to say has been used as a tool to promote like this homophobic agenda within the church for so long like the doctrine has been used that way, not 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 one individual's interpretation of the doctrine, right? But the full the full thing. Okay, y'all are saying a lot of good stuff. <laughs> I want to take us back though to a question that Gail had earlier about because I think we we've done so much uh, talking about like some of the issue, but I, I'm really curious of what you all's thoughts on are how do we actually ensure and create spaces within the scope of our influence? So whether that's like, for some of us, that's the church. For some of us, that may be, you know, for some of us, we work with students. Like, how do we create spaces, particularly where Black males feel safe to be them fullest self? And how do we help them become who they already are, rather than us helping them become what we think they should be? Like, how can we create opportunities for them to like walk into their to their own kind of calling into who they are. Um, I think that'll probably be our last question. I'll just say this um, really quick. Um, as a youth pastor, one of the things that I, I found is I, I never judge or talk down or offer like my, you know, disapproval or, you know, I, I've, I've learned to listen very well and to love regardless in spite of, right? And and I think that, that creating that space has helped a lot of the young men, specifically at my church, um, feel more comfortable, um, forthcoming, willing to share, um, and, and have some of those conversations and know that you can have those conversations in, in confidence and, and in church um, without having to wear a label or, or jeopardize who you are or, you know, um, feel as if you don't fit in or you're a part of the the majority. And so I think it's, I really think it's rooted and grounded in love because I may not see, you know, something the way somebody else does, may not interpret, you know, like Gail said, you know, you start talking about doctrine, you know, you just open up a plethora of conversations and get heated. That's what divides us on Sunday mornings, right? You know, one person sees 
the scripture this way, another person sees the scripture this way, and now all of a sudden we're going to heaven and you're not. You know, there's just, there's so much of that, right? And and my whole thing is, you know, I can still, you know, be me and, and worship and believe the way I do, but I can still love you. I can still love you unconditionally, welcome you and, and appreciate you and, and not treat you right or dog you out. And And I just don't think that, um, specifically, and like I said, just from the perspective from the church, because that's why I spend a lot of my time doing this type of stuff. I don't feel like the black church knows how to do that, which is really sad, right? It's it's like we're more focused on like again that that mind manipulation, that authority, and and just you do what I say, no questions asked. This is how it is. This is how it's always been, you know. Um, and, and so yeah, I just think that there there has to be. I think everything should be, you know really focused and centric about with love. And I think that's kind of the, the big thing that um, a lot of folks are, are missing. Like I can have, and Destin knows this, like I can have probably a lot of conversations that a lot of clergy in our organization would be super uncomfortable with. And, and I can still be all right. Right. Like I, I ain't going to flip out or fall out of my chair or, you know, or, you know, and, and even if I do feel a different way about it, like I can still, dialogue and have the conversation and learn from the experience. And I think that in itself is a skill that the black church really, really, really lacks. Yeah. I would say echoing kind of what Demetrius was saying for myself, um, first and foremost, I try to promote this idea of um, unconditional love, right? With anyone that I encounter, no matter who they are, right? Because like, even though I, I said I don't identify as a Christian, there are Christian values that I do like definitely connect with. And one of those is recognizing that they say God loves unconditionally. And so you should love like God. Um, and so to me, it's like, if there's anyone, if there's any moment when I meet a person, um, especially a man, a black man who, for any reason, I'm like, I can't love that person. Like, there's no reason, you know what I mean? And that's something. And then that takes me to my second point, like self work right doing the internal work i need to do to be all right with whoever i'm encountering or engaging with because of their identities right because like any judgment any any type of anything i feel it's not about them right it's about me and so many times we want to put our issues into the other person and be like they need to change because there's something wrong with them and no it's always about us right because god is never saying that right it's always about us like we should receive them and take them how they come to us because that's how God expects us to show up for him, right? Or wants us to show up for him. It's like, however you come, it's like, again, I'm not a Christian, so let's get off that. But um, like that to me is how I work on creating these safe spaces. It, it's, it's doing the internal work, loving unconditionally, but also exhibiting the same behaviors, right? So it's like, as long as if I push myself to walk into spaces feeling more confident and safe, Right. Recognizing that I do that because it sets an example for those who are coming either next to me or behind me. It makes it that much more powerful for me to feel that to force my comfort into a space when I know like students are coming behind me. One of the things that I was sitting here thinking about is, <clears throat> you know, one, uh, just really allowing yourself to um, kind of have that that level of vulnerability, vulnerability where, you know, you can be real um and open up about kind of like your own experiences you know one thing is like you know huge um you know thank you to keenan for you know being able to do that in this space with us um because i know he and i don't know each other at all so you know um for him to do that you know that definitely is something that takes a lot of courage you know 
And I think when you can exhibit things like that and be that vulnerable, I think it can encourage people to kind of really start to have these types of dialogues. Um, and, you know, just thinking about that, you know, I've, as I've gotten older, you know, me and my siblings have, you know, even had not just related to this topic, but even other conversations with, with my father about things that, you know, these are things that y'all kind of told us when we were younger. And now that we older, you know, kind of forming our own opinions, it's like, wait, why did y'all have us do this? You know, why were y'all telling us this? Because now it don't really seem like that was necessarily, you know, the best way of doing things or, or the right way of doing things. But, you know, he was pulling from what his experience and what he, you know, he knew. So I think, you know, just kind of, I think that's where I've kind of gotten started, you know? Um, and then also, you know, working with youth, a lot of times, you know, I hear, you know, some of the things that they just kind of will just say off the cuff. And it's really not me really just kind of uh, coming down hard on them, but just really just asking them questions like, okay, so like, why would you say that to another person? You know, where, where's like, where did that thought come from? Um, where did, you know, really trying to get them to think about, you know, the things that they're doing and they're saying, like, are these things that they truly believe or are these things that they just regurgitating because they hear on a daily basis. And so, you know, I think being able to do that, um, and even if you just start in like small spaces, I think um, if, you know, if, if more people was willing to do that, I think, you know, we could really move in the right direction. I would echo what everybody says, because to me, like my background, I do like a lot of youth work and working with youth, I always say this is you can cuss me out, you can hit me all you want, but here's the thing I'm not going to stop doing. I'm not going to stop caring about you. I ain't going anywhere and I'm not going to stop loving you. Why I say those three things is because a lot of times, particularly with youth, a lot of times youth are used to people walking in and out of their lives and just dipping out. And having someone who's been consistent in their life for a little bit, a period of time, that means a lot. <laughs> and being that person, because I'll show you an example. One, one of my youth was actually right now, he's seven time because he was his friends and they accidentally shot someone. He was, I was shocked when I heard about it because I was like, I know both of those youth. I knew both, the one who got shot and died and the one who did, it, who did the actual shooting. But the one thing is that in the midst of that, he was shocked that I was there behind him. Like, yeah, I know what you did was wrong. But the one thing I'm proud of you about is that you stood up and you owned up to your actions. I'm proud of you on that. He was shocked and he was not expecting that because he expected me that I shoot down on him, make me like, complain stuff. But having someone who was there is like, well, you see him? Like, yeah, I see you take responsibility. I seen that you were able to push forward in the midst of it. Because trust me, I know it's hard. But yeah, I know now you got a certain time. I understand that. But here's the thing. I'll make sure your family okay. When you get out, trust me, I'm going to be out there. <laughs> and he thought that really meant when I said, like, I don't give a care whatever you do. I'm still going to love you no matter what. <laughs> so just have that. I share that example because it's like they need people like that. Because a lot of times we want to be there at the ups. How many times are we there for people when they're down and they're low and they did something messed up? A lot of times people be escaping in the midst of that. But having someone who's there for you in the midst of the time when you are down and out, that means a lot. So I really feel like not only the unconditional love, but just being that presence and just being with the people through thick and thin. Like I know you always hear marriage and marriage and vows and covenants when you said to the, like for better or for worse, the sickness and the health, we say that to our spouses, but sometimes we need to do that for each other. How are we gonna take care of each other in sickness and in health? And in better or for worse. Like how are we doing that with each other? So, yeah. 
So I was just gonna say, I can't like emphasize enough what um, Gail said about work on yourself, you know? But to add on to that, do some research about things that you don't know, ask questions, you know? That's the only way you can create a space for others because I, I don't know how to put it, but we tend as human to be, we assume that what we know is the truth sometimes. And we can create a space for others to, to be vulnerable, to get to their, like, where they want to be if we are not researching and get to know what is this, how do they understand things, what's their background, why are they thinking a certain way. We talked about earlier, we mentioned a lot about, like, how uh, a lot of these things about masculinity that are negative are stuff that we're learning from society. So we talked about media, music, movies, books. How would you all like to see black men represented differently? Can I first say, it's not that I don't, I want them to be represented differently because I don't, I want the full kind of, I want there to be more, representation of what it means to be black right because just like what people see like that is blackness right that that's humanness right i just need there to be more because people take what's put out there as the end all be on that's how all black people are and that impacts me right but i also think to say like i don't want that to be seen i just want this that's equally harmful and just as racist yeah i, I agree with i agree with gail i think i think you know we've been typecasted you know um and we need to be able to see more consistently that that's just not the case of, you know, who we are as, as black men. Um, when you look, you know, from a wider perspective. Yep, definitely, definitely. I, I, I totally agree with that. I'm not about to say much, but I totally agree with what you're saying, Vincent. Well, y'all, that wraps up the conversation with black men on masculinity and manhood. Listening to it for another time around, there's just so much that I take away from it. And you know what? I want to know what you're taking away, not only from the past two episodes, but just from this podcast as a whole. So please share with me your thoughts. I want to hear from you. Leave a review. DM me on Instagram. I promise I will respond. Um, follow Rethinking Manhood. I want you to be a part of this conversation too. Take care, love you, and I'll see you next week.